This is a Shock Podcast. everyone you are listening to the podcast from grit to great i am jed hi everyone jonathan here jed hello how are hi. you before we do anything i'm gonna sing no i'm not gonna sing <laughs> i'm gonna greet my dear brother by the way a happy birthday Thank happy you. birthday jed you're in singapore as well to celebrate your birthday right yeah it has been more than two years since i have not been in singapore which is perhaps my second third home and i have been catching up with friends and unpacking some of this stuff here in the apartment which I left and yeah it's been surreal coming back here that's good and how old is my dear brother Jed now 49 52 uh, no, 16 okay <laughs> he doesn't want to tell us ladies and gentlemen Plus 20 so there I, you go I will not tell myself as um, my age as well but anyway discovery time your turn first so yeah I have been unpacking like I mentioned earlier some of the stuff that I left here in Singapore and um, one of the things that I unpacked was a bottle of perfume that a friend of mine from Japan gave me during my graduation in MBA school. But you and don't wear perfume, right? I don't wear perfume. The Japanese don't really wear perfume. And it's quite ironic that the Japanese gave it to me. You know, the Japanese people in general don't really wear perfume because maybe because them, maybe because he thinks you needed it. So <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm just give, giving you a fun fact here. The Japanese don't really wear, in general, perfumes because to them, perfumes is sort of a nuisance. It's an imposed smell. smell it use. invades public space. Yeah. So, mm. so yeah, that, that Japanese friend of mine gave me a perfume, which reminded me of a book, which is my discovery. I happened to read up when I'm visiting the bookstore, and it's called Perfumes, The Guide from A to Z. So why is this my discovery? Yeah. What, what's so special? about this book? I, I just think that, you know, many a times when we look at guides and critics of, for example, wine or fashion, they tend to be very serious. But this one is a very snarky commentary about perfumes. And it's not often that you see criticisms about perfumes. Does the book make fun of perfume? It doesn't or... really make fun totally, but it's more of half serious, half snarky comments. So, uh, Such as, a... for example, I would guess uh, saying that all types of perfume are like 500 times their, their their real worth is and they're overpriced and stuff. The bulk of the review is basically it gives you a breakdown of one to five stars. And then in terms of the price point, it gives you $1 sign to about $4 sign. So mm. let, let me give you some, you know, commentaries that I find really funny. So for example, um, you know, Joe Malone, right? It's yes. quite famous London perfume company, Lotus Blossom and Water Lily by Joe Malone. It says something was lost in translation. Discordant fragrance, half cinnamon aura with a sour, unwashed smell, like the sort of person who clears out one end of the bus. Uh, and, so, so it's like there's yeah. a satire. So there's there's some yes. comedy. There's yes, some comedy there. Yes, yes, oh, that's yes. cool. So like white red she by Armani is the fragrance equivalent of a Motel Six. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, what is that? I don't know either. But it's just what is a Motel Six? I don't, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. So that, that gives you, you know, the imagination also works. But at the same time, it makes you want to smell it even mm, further. Okay. So yeah, that's my discovery. Okay. My discovery, uh, I've been 
been debating which one to share, but I think I should share this now because it is the second to the last episode before we end season two. And I was listening to some of our past episodes, Jed, because some of them I wasn't able to listen to them fully after they were published. Mm-hmm. And I realized, and I'm going to be apologizing to Jed here publicly since it's his birthday anyway. I realized we have, I have lots of statements wherein I keep on speaking and asking you questions. And yet, even when you're about to respond, I would not let you speak up immediately. I'm used to it in real life. So. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I'm like, geez, I, I would assume that people would think like, man, John, let John, let Jed speak. I think uh, this got more intense in episode 11 or 10. I forgot. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a discovery. And I am so apologizing for that. And so I'm going to be better in the last two episodes for this season. So I'm keeping that short because you took away a lot of time already with your <laughs> perfume. Sorry. Anyway, Jed, this episode is something that has to do with a topic that a lot of our gladiators in suits find awkward, and that is compensation, salaries, and benefits. Yeah. So we'll be featuring, and I'm choosing this question because I think, you know, money is always an awkward topic to talk about. It's a very sensitive issue to talk about because people don't want to make others feel like you're just after the money, Mm -hmm. which by the way, is something that should be second nature to humans because we need money at the end of the day to mm-hmm. put food on the of table. Course. But so many workers don't want to speak up whenever they feel that they're being shortchanged by their company or whenever they think that they deserve more from their company. Well, I think it's culturally a taboo to talk about salaries. But like, not in the Western world. You know, you could ask me about my age. You could ask me about my weight, my my height at this point. But when you talk about That's what's true. your salary, nobody talks about that, right? That's you, true though. You don't yeah. want to I talk mean, about it. I, and I, I agree. think that goes for all I agree. I'll give that to you. So we'll be featuring four questions and then we'll be sharing our experiences. We'll also share some anecdotes and some literature about what do you do if you have this issue about your salary or your compensation. So Jed, can I give you the floor to ask the first question? Sure. So first question, Jed and John, I am being asked by my manager to work for additional two hours after my shift. I was surprised that my last paycheck didn't have additional compensation. Is this even legal? Mm, Let me answer this quickly. It will depend. I hate to say this and I hate to follow Jed's words whenever he says it depends. Depends. (laughs) But, But it does depend because number one, not all positions can claim for overtime pay and not all companies or industries also that. So I'll give an example. When I was working in the telecommunications industry, as well as in the aviation industry and the pharmaceutical industry, and these were all for three well-renowned companies, in our contract, it states that whenever the moment you become a manager, you are no longer compensated for overtime pay because you yep. have a managerial position. So they only apply overtime pay for rank and file positions and that you have to fill out a certain form to apply for that overtime pay. For some companies, you even need to ask for permission for first if you can claim for that overtime pay before you proceed doing overtime work. So my answer here is this will depend if you are in a position to actually be able to claim in the first place additional compensation because perhaps the reason why you can't is because you are a manager already or because your industry does not include that or your company does not include that in the benefits. Jet, what's your point? What's your take here, by the way? Well, to me, it's it's just a matter of proper communication with the HR or with mm. the boss. Or with a boss. At the very beginning, you know, during your employment, it's all about in in my tenure, will I be given an overtime pay? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's 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 better to be very sure at the very beginning rather than nothing is put 
put on paper. And then when you come across a time when you would have to work late hours, you'd be feeling sorry. I'm you'd curious, know. by the way, because architects work really long hours. Do you guys yes. get compensated? Um, it- I, also, it depends on your rank. For example, there are draftsmen where you would be compensated. But when you are already an architect, you would not be. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it, it depends, right? Yep. And it's and better to put it on paper if it, and it's better to be clear at the very beginning before you mm-hmm. commit anything. By the way, I'm going to make a disclaimer also here. Just because our answer was it depends, it doesn't mean that there are no standards anymore. Because in most countries around the world, there are standards that for rank and file employees or for contractual employees, for example, there is a specific minimum wage that you have to pay. And that if you require a worker to work beyond his uh, required time or during holidays, overtime pay is even standardized by the country, by the government's laws as well. So again, check on those parts and don't second guess them. All right. Question number two, Jed, I'll be the one to read this one. Go ahead. So there is a trend these days among companies, Jonathan and Jed, in which salaries or salary ranges of all employees are transparently shared with everyone in the company. What do you think of this? Jed, what's your take? What if, let's say, you finally found out or you found out what your boss's salary is and what your teammate's salaries are? Are you in favor of that? Okay. So when I was working in Japan prior to me signing my employment, contract, I have been given a list of the salaries of everyone. Not in terms of the name. No, no, no. Not in terms of the name, but in terms of which rank you are. Ah, okay. So So there's a range. Okay. So there's a range. In fact, it's not even a range. It's This is how much you're going to get if you are this rank. I'm just curious. Does that mean therefore, because it's my first time to hear about this. Does that mean that even if you don't know who that person is, you will have an idea of who's getting that much because likely you know their positions. But then, and you wouldn't know at which position he is at. For example, if you're an, an architect and your architect is grade A, B, C, D, E, so all of those would have a d- different salaries. Unless you ask the employee. Unless you ask the employee. If it's architect C, you are like this. Mm. So, so what's your I mean, take then? In, in, in a way, there is a... To me, that's good because at least you are aiming mm. at certain brackets every single year or maybe it's, there is a time frame for you to actually aim for that. Yeah, it's aspirational, and, no? Yeah, it becomes yeah. something that encourages you. And, and also that becomes more transparent to everyone whereby regardless of whether you're a, a woman or a man, you will be getting this amount Mm -hmm. As long as you meet the certain criteria of being an architect C. That's good. That's good. Um, I would go go for the same thing. I I do think that while on one hand, because I think the negative side of this is that people are going to end up comparing each other's salaries. I do think that at least giving a range, you don't need to give the specific exact number, but giving a range becomes aspirational for everyone. It promotes equality. And it also makes you feel that you're neither being overpaid nor underpaid, right? So, and I think it's very important because a lot of people, I think, underperform at work because they don't think that they're giving that they're given the right amount of salary. So yeah. they will think of, ah, you know, I'm not getting paid properly anyway, so I might as well just slack off. But when you know that everyone is getting paid properly and that you know that you are at par with the others, it makes you feel more accountable and guilty if you're slacking off, if you're not performing and giving your best. 
Yeah. You know, this also reminds me of New York this year. I think that was just in March or April this year, mm. where there was a very strict law that when you open your positions to the public in terms of recruitment, you would need to provide the salary as part of the recruitment process. So, so for in, example, in like if, if, I posted on, if I post this on LinkedIn, I have to yeah. display. You oh, have to okay. display how much the amount is. So it is a law in New York. Mm. I think that's a very good precedent in many, you know, big cities all over the world. I think in the Philippines, we do that, but it's not legally bound. You know, you may or you may not be transparent I, about the um, amount that you're going to be giving. I think it's more of an optional. And I think it's yeah. mostly the, you know, the really good companies who are, who try to aim for transparency yeah. because it's part of their company philosophy. But to me, to, to me, it's good if, if you're putting it in law because it's a thing that is transparent, like, Nobody mm. could get out of it, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Regardless, again, especially regardless. for recruiters who try to lowball yes, some candidates, thinking that correct. they can save. They, you know, I hate when this happens. Like you know, their their budget was like let's say ten thousand US dollars, and because they think that this employee is willing to get less, they try to lowball so yep. that they can save. Yeah, when in fact yep. they're trying to disengage this person with if if ever they find out that they could have gotten more. So it's good right? that you know there is already a benchmark that people can see in public. And, mm-hmm. and I, I love that idea. And I wish we could do that more in many cities all over the world. Yeah. There's this TED Talk, by the way, um, 2016, I think. I can't remember the year. But I remember, um, just remembering it now, there's this TED Talk by David Burkus. And he, it's exactly his uh, proposition that it matters for you to know how much your coworkers are getting paid. So if you guys want to check that out, it's on TED Talk and it's always a good reference to watch videos mm-hmm. from that site. Interesting. Okay, question number three, Jed, your turn again. Right, so when is the right time to ask about the salary or benefits during my job interview? I'm concerned that the recruiter will think I'm just applying for the money. How can I raise this minus the awkwardness? Mm. All right, let me share some thoughts here. I First and foremost, I do think that you shouldn't be, feel ashamed about asking about money, compensation, or benefits because at the end of the day, even if you say that we work because we have a social purpose or because it's our passion, we work because we need livelihoods. We need to be able to put food on the table. So please take out that mindset, right? I do, however, think that there is a graceful way of asking it. And that is, I would recommend that you wait it out. Usually it's the recruiter who asks about it at the end of the first interview. Uh, Sometimes you will only talk about it on the second or third level interview when they likely are sure that you are part of the final two or the final four applicants, for example. So they will ask questions like, may I ask what is your asking salary? Or may I ask if we're aligned with the budget? What's your asking price? Mm -hmm. So I would wait for that. What about you, Jed? What's your take on this? So I'm going to answer the question as as when do you actually ask about your salary during Mm. interviews? My rule is you ask it on the second interview. The first interview has to be mostly about casual conversations about, about yourself your about skills, what your expectations yeah. of, of the company. Who would you be working with? What are the roles that you're going to do? But you don't talk about the money at that point. You just have a feel of the, a diverse interview about the, the work and about 
your fit in the company. And then when you get that call on the second interview, then I think that's a time when you ask about the money and you have to do it very straightforward. You have to ask direct, how much is the salary that I would be getting? Wait, what well, when, you say, when you say direct, like would you give a specific amount? Because I would give a range. I would give a range like, I would say something like, I am currently receiving this amount yes, and I would yes, like yes. to ask for a range yeah, of you're 50, right, you're right. So that's how you should do it. You don't give them a window to even negotiate with you. It's better that you put your numbers already at the beginning mm-hmm. and then let them negotiate with you when your numbers are already there on the table. Then you talk about the benefits as well. You talk about vacation leaves. You talk about paternity, maternity leaves. Insurance. Yes, health benefits and all those. I think it's on the second interview where you talk about all these things. And then that's when both of you would already come into the negotiating table and then come up with a compromise. Yeah. Do you do you agree with me that, I mean, ideally, you're not supposed to be the one to raise it to HR unless they close the discussion and yet it's still not being raised. I do I think, think it, that you should wait for the recruiter to be the one to raise it because likely it's part of their SOP in their discussions anyway. I beg to disagree. I think it really? doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter who, mm. who you know, raised the conversation first. The jux is... You you need to know, you know, it's it's one of those deal breakers. So it has to be brought up by any party and you need to negotiate and make a compromise if it's you think it's really, really? Yeah, I, I would disagree. I, again, while money is important and that you should never be ashamed to say it, I think there's a way of gracefully waiting oh, yeah. for the... Re- there's a graceful but way that, of saying it, but... But that's what I'm trying to say. So the graceful way of saying it is to wait for the recruiter to be the one to raise it first. I see. Rather than, I'll give an example. You're in the second interview and you're just on the second or fifth minute and you're raising it already when she still has other questions about your life. For me, that's very off-putting. It will make it appear that you're just here because you're for the money and that you cannot wait to find out if you're getting a 20% or 30% increase you could, yeah. in your salary. You, you, you could put it that way. Yeah, you're right. right. You could put it that way. But to me, I, I, I would have the audacity to even ask. I would. Yeah. But I think that's because you can pull it off, Jed. Not everyone's like uh, yeah, you. That's so. true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So again, impressions here do matter. At the end of the day, you still have to put on the theater because while first impressions are wrong, first impressions last. And you do not have control on how you're likable in the eyes of this recruiter who will be deciding the fate of whether you should proceed to the next round of the job interview. So last question. Jonathan and Jed, I just standard my resignation. And a few days later, my boss comes back offering a counter of 20% increase in my salary. It's a very tempting offer, but a part of me also still feel that it's already a done deal for me and I want to quit. Should I consider the counter or should I even ask for a higher counter since they already offered one? What do you think? Jed, what's your take? Number mm. one, if, if someone offers you a counter, if you already resign, would you even take it in the first place? Like, would money be a, a reason for you to go back? It depends. <laughs> I, I, I guess the, the answer, it depends. Here's my take. I do think that a counter offer can be very important or critical if your issue in the first place for resigning was money. They're trying to match the very reason why you're leaving. I do, however, think that generally, if you've already made up your mind for leaving, I don't think you should go back. Especially since when you take the counter, it sends a message that you can be easily swayed by money. That's one. And number two, it's going to make me ask the question, fine, you get 20% increase. 
But are the other reasons for leaving going to be resolved? For example, if your issue was your boss, if your issue was that the culture is just toxic and people are still going home at 10 o'clock in the evening, do you really think that the 20% increase is going to be worth those same problems again if they're not going to be resolved anyway? So no, even if you increase it to 30% or 40%, I think that if you have decided to quit because you think that there are better places to be treated as an employee, don't. There's no turning back. What's your take on this part? I mean, you were saying a while ago, it depends. I think, you know, I am resounding what you just mentioned earlier. It's it's more of delicadeza as what we call it. It's your dignity and your honor. If, if you go back to the company just because of the pay raise that you're going to get, will that actually reflect on you as a person like you could mm. easily be swayed by the dollar signs right come to think um, of it Jedno what if it, you were offered twice like 100% and you're earning a lot huh like twice would you even like this is a fictional question because I don't think there's any proper company who will do that let's pretend you were even given 100% increase I guess you would twist it in a way that okay part of the decision of going back is obviously the money but also the challenge of getting new roles and bigger roles and yeah. bigger opportunities in the company. You, you could twist it that way. Because um, when, if, if I'm thinking it that way now, 20% may be small, maybe 30 or 40 is still small, but 100%, man, I would go back. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, you're right. So so money can still be important driver here, right? But, but you would also have to think of what your other colleagues would think about that. The, well, that's assuming that they know it. And most of the time, counter offers are done discreetly anyway. And But, but it's done discreetly, but also, so some people would still know about it, mm. you know, especially True. that you've been giving hints to everyone that you're going to be leaving. And it's true. Oh, so he's I actually staying. know someone like that. And when someone was given a counter offer, it set a precedence for other folks yep. doing the yep. same thing. And they found out that there is this, this technique for you to increase your salary as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it makes me realize money cannot buy happiness, but it can buy a lot of things such as convenience or a Netflix subscription or expensive gasoline prices lately. So it's just so hard to get out uh, and drive. Anyway, so Jed, thank you. Uh, Very interesting discussion about salaries and compensation in this episode. And I hope you get to enjoy your birthday. In the meantime, you you get to... You get to enjoy your hard-earned money <laughs> in a city that has very expensive uh, prices as well. That's true. So we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye. 